Hello everyone, Simon here from Snapshooter.com and you're listening to the Pushing to Production podcast. On this podcast, we focus on the purely technical side of running a project, learning about how startups go from code to production. Hello everyone and welcome to another recording of Pushing to Production. This week I am joined by Jesse Hainley. Good day, guys. Did I say that right? I feel like I said your name wrong. I mean, you, <laughs> I, I mean, before we started recording, you said it right. <laughs> a little bit oh, there, no. but it, oh, all good, all good. <laughs> okay, cool. Can we have an introduction from you, Jesse, and what you're up to? Sure. My name is Jesse. I uh, live in south of Japan in uh, the Kyushu region, and I run a business now full-time called Bento. We do kind of email marketing and analytics for e-commerce and SaaS. How long have you been in business? Uh, Bento has been technically in business, maybe for four years or so. I initially started working on the side when I was running digital marketing and then a content agency, which I um, exited last year and then rotated kind of full-time to the project. So kind of part-time up until like maybe the second quarter of last year. Yeah, sold the business and now 100% full-time on this. Were you glad to be gone with that part of business life or? Like the agency life? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's kind of interesting. Like cash flow at an agency is quite easy to generate if you're good at sales. So versus kind of SaaS. SaaS, it's very, it's a steady incline or an aggressive incline, but still an incline. It's like a ramp, right? And you're either, you know, you're churning, you get an MRR and the ramp is a little bit wavy and it's kind of making its way slowly up. With uh, an agency, if you've got the ability to sell and find uh, heads, which there's plenty of people to hire all the time, it's actually remarkably easy to stack revenue up and grow. So you can go from zero to 10,000, 10,000 to 20, 20 to 40, if you're good at sales. So I, I enjoyed that kind of aspect uh, of it. And to be frank, like I really enjoyed the team. I enjoyed them so much that I'm actually hiring them next week <laughs> to work on Bento on the content side. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And the, and the new owner, he's done like a tremendous job at actually taking over the business. So I miss the team, but it's nice to be full-time on a, a SaaS business instead. That's awesome. Is it is it just your business or do you have any anyone else? Just me. Just me. Just you at the moment. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Could you give us any indication of the size of your business or? Yeah, sure. I need to know revenue numbers, but. So I'm cagey about revenue numbers, but it's fine. in terms of volume, I think we're probably in the hundreds of customers, uh, haven't reached mm-hmm. the thousand yet, but like on our way. And we kind of serve like the, the way that we're primarily sold is actually to larger customers, so enterprise and like bigger uh, okay, customers, yeah, yeah. which which is why I've always been so cagey on it. And then in terms of like events, yeah, hundreds of millions of events a month. So quite a lot oh, of like event ingestion. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute then. What is the current tech stack then? And is it just you developing on it at the moment or do you have anyone else? It's just me and then um, uh, contractors. So early on, I hired uh, Andrew Culver um, to help me with uh, just also learning Ruby and Rails because I was a self-taught developer. So um, throughout the journey of Bento, I've hired uh, developers to help me build it using the cash flow from the agency. Hired people much smarter than me to kind of like help me build the platform and then I would learn how they were kind of building whatever we were building together and then slowly take over those components. So, you know, the first part is like building the analytics part of Bento and Andrew built that. And then I took it over and iterated on it kind of like from there. And then uh, recently in the last year, we had a guy called uh, Khaled who has been uh, working on a lot of the front end stuff in Bento, which has been really cool. Okay. So with challenges with scale and stuff, I presume these people who are experts had helped sort of build things right from the beginning. 
Yeah, yeah, which was a large part of it. Like I think with Bento, I had a pretty long-term vision for the business. Like I, I wanted to go after marketing automation. I wanted to go after like a lot of the hard problems and to do that well and like right for customers. I, I thought it was the right decision. Like I, if I was building Bento four years ago, I would have. I, I don't even think the business would have taken off or even gotten traction because I don't think I would have built it right. I think it would have crashed. I would have just <laughs> done really bad domain modeling and it wouldn't have been a good yeah. business. And like a lot of the code, like I was editing, like I was looking at like all the Git blame stuff in um, VS code and a lot of it's stuff that Andrew worked on four years ago and I'm, I'm making some changes, making some improvements, but <laughs> it's it's really, really cool. Yeah, he hasn't left comments like, don't touch this. It's, <laughs> <laughs> this, this works, leave it alone. <laughs> there are some funny old comments, but um, I leave them in because it's kind of nostalgic for me. But yeah, I'm a, a bit, big advocate of like finding better talent hiring them for kind of like purposeful work and then learning and then taking it over, I think, after it. It's, it's been a yeah, good strategy. Interesting. Yeah, if you got the sort of the funds and the ability, like that whole idea of almost coaching, really, coaching your way into I, it right. Um, I, I can't work at a full-time company. Like I, I've never worked in an engineering organization. So I've, ne- I've never had a job in, in tech. <laughs> I, I've, my previous job oh, okay. was in, in e-commerce and marketing and sales and had nothing to do with development. So it was kind of the only way I... When do you learn to program then? In school and early in terms of really basic stuff. Yeah. But not... It was always tinkering. Like it was HTML, oh, okay. CSS. Not, not professional programming for... No. No. No, okay. no, no backend stuff other than like, you know, bringing back up a MySQL database for WordPress or Magento. <laughs> like, <laughs> like nothing, nothing more impress- That's pretty impressive then to be come from a sort of a non-professional background in, in programming and get to... Where you are today, uh, I'm part of your Discord, and I see how much you uh, you push changes and fixes and <laughs> new fe- new features. That's the thing that I see. Like someone will mention something, and then <laughs> before they've even you know finished their day, you're like, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of that I think is like I I have especially in like the last maybe three years or so, I've just really enjoyed coding. Like it, it's I found it all consuming. I found it really fun. I found all parts of the stack interesting. I found the backend interesting. Like I'm really into, like I've got, you can't see because you're not recording it, but I've got my Postgres book that I've been reading. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and and last year I was really into React when we we're working on our workflow stuff. So I got to learn a lot of front ends. So I've, yeah, I've, I've kind of enjoyed doing the full stack and um, mm-hmm. taken like a lot of pride in just trying to read up and and become a lot better. I can see, yeah, as I said, like how fast you go from sort of idea to production. So I just wondered what processes you have in place that just like enables like frictionless deployment, development and deployment. Like, do you have very extensive testing? Do you have no regard for <laughs> production problems and you just push willy nilly or like? I mean, like I, I, I made a small mistake today, but then I like recovered in 15 minutes. It depends. Like yeah. I'll kind of counter your question with like another question. With the question to you, where, where do you find yourself getting blocked shipping features? Sometimes I have a whole bunch of interdependencies uh, that causes the issues. So like if I'm doing a change to the way backups work, I have like a lot of consideration of backups that are already in the wild running or like if we update a version of a package, like I have thousands of containers <laughs> that need to be updated in a kind of a in a non-breaking way like everything has to step forward so sometimes i do changes and it's like it's like three commits over the course of a day or two to get everything in sync and updated so, nice. so other things like 
other things I could push out, <laughs> change within, you know, 15 minutes, like just pushing is fine. But um, some, some stuff in the core is really slow when you're considering like the risk for breaking. Like if I change the backup script, that runs on thousands of different machines every single hour and they all have different setups and different Linux like versions and all this crap. So that's sometimes really slows things down. Yeah. So it, it could be like the, the answer is probably the type of business. Like if you're trying to make yeah. a, a change to, you know, your core backup service, like of course that's going to be really hard mm-hmm. and you're going to be more cautious for me. Um, the risk is generally like, you know, if, if a customer asks for, I want some cool liquid or whatever, I'm basically just writing a quick like little module to extend yeah, like I that can library. See how that's not going to yeah. break any existing stuff. Or if it's like I need a new automation, it, it's really easy. So anything front end or like application code related, super easy. Mm-hmm. Additionally, on like the tech stack side, um, if I need like a really kind of crazy report, so much is offloaded to Elasticsearch that like on the fly queries are quite easy versus if I was doing mm-hmm. all in Postgres, which we can talk about later, I would have to, you know, make sure I'm doing my index is correctly. You make sure that it's actually using the index and not searching through, like, you know, going through everything okay. or hitting heap. There's a lot of stuff that I, I strategically offload to give me some kind of gains. Yeah. So maybe not to generalize for you, but it seems like when I see the stuff you're doing quickly, it's because they're like knock out the park easy or easier features. You know what? Not necessarily. Maybe. Maybe some not. of them, some of them are hard. I mean, I can, um, in like, just wait, let me, let me, I mean, I can look at my change log. Um, yeah, I'm curious. It's just, that's what I mean. It's just, it's very interesting. So I presume like if you were saying you wanted to update the ingesting of events, you'd be way more, <laughs> way more cautious around playing around with that than. Which I like, did today, which, which I did today. And I, I put a, a thing about it. So like today I sped up by like a pretty good notch, like for an event to be processed prior to today, it was about, I don't know including like it bouncing between all the different queues, like 600 milliseconds per event, basically it flowing through the whole system. And then now it's like yeah. 50 milliseconds. And that I touched, okay, I touched a yeah. lot of things there, but a lot of it was like, I don't know, a, a lot of Ruby stuff and making sure I wasn't, you know, checking things in the database I shouldn't be checking or, you know, doing dumb queries or double saving stuff. So, you know, that, that was like a high risk kind of change, but I, I tested it appropriately and we had good tests and, you know, deployed it i just tested it locally it was fine and then everything else everything else that i've kind of shipped in the last day or so it's a lot of front-end stuff it's stuff with like real-time session things where you can see on the top right who's logged into your account and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and that's just fun it's just like react code and like one or two files so yeah i don't know it's it's always low risk unless i'm doing database stuff to be frank like it's quite easy to move pretty fast with bento so it's probably worth asking what you're, how you're running this in production. You said that you're processing or ingesting millions of events. Where do those events originate from? Are they coming? They, they're often uh, user generated on like websites. So it's, that, it's like the same as a tracking script on a site, plus backend events from our integration library. So we've got integrations with Ruby. Uh, we've got a new PHP uh, library coming out today or tomorrow. Node, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And then Shopify, WordPress, WooCommerce, and then Magento coming up. And then we basically get a barrage of events coming nonstop. When they come in nonstop, they go to like a micro, just like a little microservice Ruby app that basically ingests the events and acts as a proxy, has rate limiting in it. We've got Cloudflare in front of it with also rate limiting there, which has been really good. 
We use a Cloudflare Argo, so requests like worldwide are routed just a little bit better and faster. So pass through Cloudflare, whole bunch of rate limiting to make sure we're not getting like DDoS or spammed. Hits the little like micro Ruby app, the tracking app that forwards it to Bento. It then basically goes through this big uh, queue in Sidekick, like our queuing system. And then the event gets processed, uh, everything gets updated, workflows get triggered, and then yeah, it gets stored in uh, Postgres. Uh, and then shot to Elastic to be uh, indexed. So that's kind of like the pipeline of a of an event. So, And then the whole tech stack's hosted on Heroku. And uh, this year we mm-hmm. moved to Heroku uh, Enterprise to lock in for the year. Okay. I haven't really, didn't really know much about Heroku, to be honest, so um, to know about their enterprise offering and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like with, with Heroku, they basically, all of our apps are hosted there. They handle all the web requests with like dinos and stuff. All background jobs are in workers. Workers process that. And then um, I use Rails Autoscale to automatically scale everything up or down based on uh, demand. So that has been wildly helpful and was used to, before I signed up to enterprise, used to save us a lot of money. So yeah, that's kind of the pipeline. So Everything's hosted on Heroku. Got a Cloudflare as the DNS, which has been basically a lifesaver constantly. Okay, were you suffering a lot of um, attacks, or was it, or was it just people being silly? Like, well, we open ourselves it- up. We open ourselves up to attack for every single website we're hosted on as a tracking script. So we're actually like our risk vector is everyone <laughs> that installs us. Like, oh, okay. You it's, know what I mean? Not, it's, yeah. it's not you being attacked directly. It's some other website being attacked. And then... Yeah. As, as like an example, like um, there was like a hardware company that had us installed and they had very tech savvy users that enjoyed uh, having bots. And they basically had a whole bunch of uh, bots like smashing Shopify constantly to try and like get the hardware product, just like cart bots. And oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and what was interesting about them was uh, they all had JavaScript installed and all of them, like they were literally running when I was having a look at it, they were just running a whole bunch of just like local PCs and stuff and just doing it all manually. They're really hardcore. <laughs> and so <laughs> using Cloudflare to, to do that has been like really helpful because I don't really have to worry about it. Like I see massive influx of requests and then Bento will shoot, like we'll detect that, we'll detect the rate limiter and then shoot to Cloudflare's API to cut it off automatically so we don't have to worry. That's cool. Okay, and then they get blocked at the edge, really, and then you never deal with it internally. Yeah, yeah. or even like the last week, I noticed BingBot, which we don't need to load us at all, was sending us like 10,000 requests, I think, like every hour or so, which is a lot of random page views to just be ingesting. And so like just random bots on the web get lost. Yeah, then- I guess there's no value to your customers storing that data anyway, is there? So. No, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then Redis. So Heroku, like everything's on Heroku. All the web requests come with uh, web dynos and workers. Then uh, Postgres, we've got a master and a read. A couple of Redis clusters, Memcache. Yeah. And then I think two, two Elastic clusters. That's cool. I'm curious. You obviously send quite a lot of emails. How, how do you handle that at the moment? Like as in you DIYs? No, no, no. Secret source. <laughs> no, no. I'll just tell you. I mean, we use SendGrid. It's the provider of choice i think when you start sending volume i mean shopify use them a lot of the larger players use them yeah, yeah. like our competitors use them yeah so it's 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 easy and, and people often will comment they're like but it's so expensive the thing is is that like it's not <laughs> when when you start sending a lot of volume because you just talk to their sales reps and you can no- negotiate them oh, down okay. it's not a biggie once you get to volume and it's a lot less stressful than managing your own boxes which i've explored 
but I've kind of deemed it as viable when we hit the scale where I can hire someone just to manage the boxes. Because you've got to manage stuff like your own IPs, if you get blacklisted, all that kind of shenanigans. Yeah, and warming them up and getting them like, yeah, just what a disaster. <laughs> it's it, yeah. It's doing quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same reason like why we pick managed Heroku versus self-hosted on AWS. It's so I can, if we need something, especially as a really small company, if we need something, we can get help instead of basically having no help whatsoever. Okay. Do you have any um, horror stories then? Obviously, you mentioned a bit about being like attacked, but it seems like you had that well under control. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, all the horror stories, like I try and forget them. <laughs> Most of the horror stories, I think, touch wood, have like mostly been avoided primarily because of doing stuff like the managed, you know, like using Heroku instead of doing it all ourselves. Um, but yeah, most of the issues that we have is just like constant barragement of um, visitors on sites, just causing like ca- kind of chaos. And a lot of that is honestly like just solved with paying for Cloudflare and paying for all their amazing services. Like I think we, we, pay, we pay like five, hundred bucks a month or something for cloudflare and it's worth every penny it's it's amazing yeah so no no huge horror stories they they often it's often like i'm at the gym and then like you know web dinos are getting overloaded and like things are timing out and then i basically will go on cloudflare on my phone <laughs> and, then, and yeah just, you know turn on bot bot protection mode i think it is or super bot fighting mode and you press that and then basically like it stops the the issue. Things quiet down and you can kind of resume. So yeah, it's kind of <laughs> yeah, cool. I often answer tickets between reps and <laughs> or you look at your phone and you're like, oh my God, that's way too many emails. Like what's going on? And it's just a... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, I think and, the last one I had was when AWS was down and like a load of their APIs just stopped functioning. <laughs> like, well, I can't do anything about that. So And those ones you can't, right? Like that's just kind of part of doing business. And I think... If it's managed, uh, you kind of know it's at least it's being kind of well taken care of. And then if it's not like a, I know we've spoken, but like we'll probably use your service to move backups offsite off Heroku in case like Heroku has like a very disastrous incident where everything goes up in fire. We want to have our main data elsewhere just to make sure that we're kind of like okay. Yeah, I was talking to. Corey Quinn on his podcast recently about this, and it's not it's not because you want a disaster recovery plan, like as in, oh, if Heroku goes down, I'm going to move to AWS. Like, because that's a that's something that would take weeks to do anyway. It's just the data is the most valuable part of the business, right? And if you were to lose all of that, you're going to, be, you're going to have some very angry customers. Yeah. So just to, even to have like, well, we have a backup and we'll be back in a week. <laughs> and we're, we're working on it, but like, rest assured, we're, we're not starting from scratch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's worth a lot. And, and that was part of the decision to move up to enterprise. It was mostly like out of respect for our customers. I, I could have this year been more cost-centric. And, you know, I, I'm not happy with the current pricing for Heroku um, on Postgres. I'm like really not happy with it. As we collect more events, we have to scale up compute with storage. And so we're massively over-provisioned yeah. on power and we just don't we just don't need it. And uh, there are other solutions like CrunchyBridge or even like Citus where we can basically solve our storage problems and not pay an arm and a leg and have high availability and all that kind of good stuff. But this year, paying for Heroku 
uh, and locking in the year kind of took me out of general population and then also made sure that like Heroku wouldn't randomly shut my account down and all that kind of stuff, which which can happen. Yeah, that's big in, fears, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, I, think, I think you've highlighted on Twitter a few times this year, people who've just woken up and been taken down for whatever reason and then... Uh, and it's always a random system. Support to, yeah. It's, it's always a random system. Like uh, one of my friends, I saw him tweet during Christmas, during like all the sales stuff, and he's an e-commerce app on Shopify. He had his app randomly banned for about 24 hours, which means that all web requests shut off and you can't log into the platform. And in that instance, like what <laughs> like what are you supposed what are you supposed to do? And so for me, it was like moving to enterprise took me out of that GP and you get a dedicated line and, and you get escalation. I think it's like the right thing to do for my customers. And I kind of like I'm trying to advocate for that more, which is like pay more for that because I think customers kind of deserve that. So yeah, yeah, they do, yeah, and like shut down requests or whatever you want to be kind of handled manually, and like it's not, you know, yep, yeah, and, and most, off. <laughs> of course, and, and most services you can pay for like an enterprise type solution where they mm-hmm. take you off the main kind of grid, take you off automated systems, and then just manage you separately. And I think that's yeah, that's kind of how you got to do it. Yeah, for us, we pay for um, AWS support, which is yep. kind of the equivalent, but it's. It's kind of a tough pill to swallow because you're just saying, add 10% to my bill. <laughs> and um, and that, that then gives you phone access, like as in you can get on the phone within... Last time I had to phone up because they'd, they'd, they'd been attacked for some reason in some system and I couldn't get any bills to work because they'd scaled everyone down to like no build concurrency. So phone up, 15 minutes on the phone, mostly just waiting for a person to come through, fixed immediately. And then carry on with the day so it's kind of worth it but also <laughs> expensive and that sorry what's your question yeah sorry i just i just uh remembered some um trauma <laughs> that was <laughs> I, I i realized i pushed down do you remember my azure instance do you remember we, we were talking uh, about that last year where i lost my container do you, do you remember yes, that? yes 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 i remember the storage container yes <laughs> you were starting to get 404s on assets wasn't it yeah yeah nailed it so um Basically, like I was out with uh, my wife and we were at like a, a, a rainforest or whatever, a waterfall, <laughs> a waterfall. And a customer goes like, hey, man, like I keep sending um, like my email, like I keep opening an email that sent last night and like the images aren't loading. And I was like, ah, oh, he must have buggered up the, the thing, you know, put in some bad links. Then another customer yeah, yeah, yeah. says, hey, man, none of my sequences <laughs> are loading images. And I'm like, oh, that's not that doesn't sound good. And, and the way that we've actually done it, it well, the way that we used to do it was... um. We use a, an email builder who allowed us to put like our own storage. And so I put all the um, our first email builder in Azure. And for our plain text builder, I put in S3. So all of our plain text stuff was fine. But then all the... Um, <laughs> all the uh, Is that so fit- you actually outsourced the process of email building to like a third party? A third party. Product, mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. Uh, that, that's what a lot of our competitors do. Um, Mixpanel do it. We actually use the same provider as Mixpanel. So... Yeah, I'm getting these like messages and then I'm checking. I'm like, ah, oh, he must, I don't have my laptop, um, which was a mistake. I was like, something's wrong here. So then I go home and then what actually happened was our outsourced email provider accidentally, the way that they written their code is when they tested that your repository was okay, they would create and put a file in there and then delete, wipe it. So they, for some reason, did that on ours and it deleted the entire container. 
they, they just wiped it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they wiped it. It wasn't us. Like, they wiped it. And uh, I contacted them and was like, what did you do? And uh, they're in the Ukraine. They're supporters. So they just didn't reply <laughs> to us. And I was like, I need to solve this. So I upgraded to Azure support whatever that one was. I had two people in Taiwan in about an hour when I actually um, did the ticket and stuff. And after I paid, uh, resolving it for me. And like literally the way that they recovered it was really hardcore. There was apparently like a read replica that stalled and my data was there. I was able to recover it off the stalled um, thing. And like, I've got my thing up. And so lucky. I'm, I'm so lucky. He, he's he's like, he's like, hey, man, can you see the files? And I'm like, nah, man. And we're doing this like back and forth where he's trying to use his, like he couldn't physically give them to me because Microsoft had all these things where like they can't touch user data. They can just move stuff around or whatever. So he's doing this massive dance and it, it took hours, but we got everything back and I learned a lot about stuff then. <laughs> um, and so then... Do you, back up, do you back up that as your bucket somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Azure didn't have something where like you could, um, when a file got deleted, it would just, what's it called? Just mark it as... Oh, it's life, it's like life cycle stuff. So you can basically have like a delete and it won't actually delete it for 30 days. Uh-huh. We would have been saved if that was turned on. But Azure Blob Storage, I don't think had it, like it launched it after I set that up like two, three years ago. So it wasn't a setting when I was configuring it. And then now it's configured and now it's okay. But <laughs> yeah, it was incredibly traumatic. I Yeah, customers were really good because uh, in Discord, I kept everyone updated and told people what was going That's on. A big and, part of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And people are pretty empathetic. You don't lose any customers or whatever. I think it's probably, you're more likely to lose customers if you just ignore people and pretend nothing's happened <laughs> while trying to fix it. So, yeah, yeah, and and it was it was basically like all like previous emails, so not future emails, which isn't. It's not. Oh, okay. So slightly less of a risk then. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, people people aren't yeah. reading emails six months ago from marketing stuff. Did, did that uh, email builder company ever like apologize? <laughs> So you know what's cool. funny about that? Like what's real funny about that was they kept saying I was wrong and then they finally sent me an email and then uh, refunded me like six months for the mistake, which was like, we're talking hundreds of dollars. Like, come on, it was, it was like, I mean, should just give me a free account. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so upset, but yeah, whatever, whatever. I don't know, companies are going to be companies. Uh, you got to just do your best to protect yourself, I think. Yes, yeah, owning your data is a big part of that, isn't it? So I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about or think that's interesting? Or No, if anyone has any questions about like scaling uh, event systems and stuff or is uh, smarter than me at trying to do it, which is I'm assuming there's a lot of people and maybe a lot of people like listening, I would appreciate your help, but I'm also happy to help anyone that... Uh, is trying to work out, you know, building an analytic system and doing it sanely because there's just been like so much over the past like three or four years that I've learned uh, growing this business and it's incredibly stressful. But the only thing that's made it not stressful is talking to people that are smarter than me. And every time I've done that, it's just been awesome. It's just been, it's been, it's just unlocked so much for me and unlocked so much for the business and unlocked so much for customers and it's been nice. So, yeah, I don't know. If people want to DM me, they can. That's really cool. So where can people DM you? Where can people get in touch with you? Twitter's good. Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, T, Hanley, H-A-N-L-E-Y. That's it. <laughs> Just okay. D- cool. DM me that. Right. <laughs> cool. Make sure you put your Cloudflare uh, protection on your Twitter DMs and then, uh, yeah. cool. I will. All right, well, thank you very much. And 
<laughs> we'll catch you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pushing to Production podcast from Snapshooter.com. Snapshooter is a backup service for all of your online servers, databases, and applications. From the whole server snapshots at providers like DigitalOcean, AWS, and Vultra, as well as direct backups from any provider to your given storage of choice, S3, Backblaze, Google Drive, the list goes on. Check us out today. We have a limited free plan, or all plans come with a 14-day free trial with no card required. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week.